Take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 12 as we continue on this morning. Romans chapter 12, for those of you who are guests with us, we love to journey through various books of the Bible one at a time, and this year and last, we're going through the book of Romans. We finished up what we would call in Christianity the doctrinal, the didactic part of the book in chapters 1 through 11 and chapters 12 to 16 conclude with the practical application of the doctrinal part. The doctrinal part is about being saved. What's the gospel? How can you know for sure that you have a personal walk with your creator in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Has your life been transformed? No pastor, no priest, no church, no good act of yours can save you. Only Jesus can save you. And once you turn from your sin and your own personal understanding of how to save yourself and you turn to God's way of saving you and trust Christ as your Savior, He changes your life. And then He tells us what a changed life is and what it looks like. And that's really where we're at in chapter 12. And we looked at verse 1 of chapter 12 last week and we talked about a, a commitment, a decisive commitment that we have all made by grace because we've known the gospel Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2 is really the foundation for the first section of the practical application of the gospel in our lives, which we'll talk more about the next time we're together. But he says, therefore, understanding all these things, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And Today we discuss this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Father in heaven, we ask that you would guide our hearts and our minds as we work through the scriptures this morning in relationship to our discerning lifestyle. What does it mean for men to be discerners? May the Spirit of God work in our hearts in the way that He would, and may we seek to be faithful doers and not just hearers of the Word as we depart from one another in just a while. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you need a Bible, just keep your hands up. Our ushers will make sure that you have a Bible to follow along with. Uh, last week we talked about decisive commitment, and this morning we want to talk about the discerning lifestyle and, uh, and men, for sure, uh, we take the lead in understanding and living a discerning lifestyle. Maybe you've seen the television program Running Wild with Bear Grylls. Have you ever seen that show? A lot of survival shows on TV. And I want to read you uh, the excerpt that describes this particular season of episodes for Running Wild with Bear Grylls. This season, the series will take viewers from the snowy Swiss Alps and Spain's icy Pyrenees Mountains to Kenya's unyielding terrain and the volcanic canyons of the Canary Islands. The intrepid cast members will face their deepest fears and tackle everything from wild animals to rock repelling as they journey through some of the world's most unforgiving wildernesses pushing their minds and bodies to the limit to complete their journeys. They will experience the excitement of being dropped into uncharted territory and tackling the wilderness head on, which will be daunting and draining, but also very empowering 
using only the bare essential tools of survival. How many guys want to go join up? <laughs> All right. When you watch the show, it is quite fascinating to realize how few essential items are necessary to survive in extreme wilderness environments. We are in extreme, we are in men, ladies, women, children. We are in an extreme, fallen, undiscerning spiritual wilderness in this world, but the Lord has provided for us the simple yet essential tools of spiritual survival for daily living. Last week, we began to unpack this first practical section of the book of Romans by pointing out to us that there's a particular time in our life where we understand what God's grace has done and that grace compels us to decide at that one time in our past that God's grace that saved us is capable enough to sustain us in our living. And we decided to start walking with God the day we were born again. Verse two doesn't talk about the past, it talks about the present. And the verbs of verse two are very clear to direct our minds, what are the essential tools of survival in this wilderness today, in our present? Verse 2 records for us the daily essential makeup of how a person maintains the lifestyle that was decided upon in verse 1 that we discussed last week. I entitled the second point for verse number 2, Your Discerning Lifestyle, because... It gives to it, I believe it honors the grammar of the, of the verse, but it underpins for us the reality that this is, a, this is discernment is a daily exercise in the life of any man. It's a daily exercise in the life of any Christian. One pastor described discernment like this, discernment is nothing more than the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. Discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. In other words, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with an ability to think biblically. When we turned from our sin and placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone, we were born anew by his mercy and grace, and that same grace that transforms us now sustains us in our daily living. And again, here in verse 2, we're going to learn what these essential tools of survival are uh, in our culture. I want to divide verse 2 into five small sections that we'll cover here before we conclude at 11.35. Five small sections. And they all begin with the letter R. So if you're taking notes, this might be easier for you to follow along. Just remember the word residence. Residence, refusal, reaffirmation, renewal, and result. Residence, refusal, reaffirmation, renewal, and result. Though many of our applications of this message will be directed at men today, our audience includes saints. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I trust our hearts will be moved by what the word of God teaches us are the essential tools of survival in our fallen world. Let's talk about residence first. 
residents first. In any survivalist situation, knowing your environment and the danger it poses is critical. If you are a survivalist in the wilderness, you may have been trained, or you may have, again, become familiar with the television program about surviving in wilderness. The first thing they do is they'll stop, and the survival trainer will walk the people that are going with him on the journey through the landscape of the region of the wilderness. And he'll point out the dangers. It'll be very, very clear. You may even pull out a map and you might say, you know what, this is the region, this is why we're not going to go here, this is the danger in this particular area, we can't go here, and we're definitely not going to go there, we're not going to eat a plant that looks like this in this particular area of the wilderness because it'll kill you, we need to be careful of venomous snakes here, uh, flesh-eating beasts here, they just know the landscape. Survivalist knows the landscape. And what does is, what is verse 2 tell us? Very, very clearly. Paul says, and do not be conformed. And what's the prepositional phrase there? To this, what? World. We are residents in this world. For those of you that know the language of the New Testament, this is the word for age. Do not be conformed to this age. This is the time in which we're asked to live by God. One author put it this way. This is the pre-Messianic and relatively anti-Messianic form of the world in our perverted course of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says that our wilderness has a God. the God of this world. This wilderness has a ruler. The God of this age is fallen Lucifer, and one-third the host of heaven fell with him, and they seek to devour, not maim, their prey. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us. In this wilderness, be sober, be vigilant, men, because your adversary, the devil, walks around, he prowls like a voracious lion, seeking whom he may devour. There will be daily wrestling with this adversary, Ephesians 6 tells us. Paul reminds us there that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this world. Much of this battle, men, in this world and in this wilderness, is not with what or who we can see, but with them who we cannot see, but who control this wilderness in which we wander. This enemy tells us, the Bible tells us, fires daily darts at his targets, seeking to distract them from their ultimate goal, which is to glorify God in all we do. Our arch nemesis in this wilderness stands before the throne of God, vehemently accusing us, who are God's children, of being that which we used to be that we are no longer. Satan loves to guilt trip the people of God. The repressive and oppressive weight of our God-given conscience, if we leave it undisciplined by God's grace, Satan uses to shackle our souls, seemingly prohibiting any movement in growth in Christ-likeness. 
if we're not careful. This enemy, again, is the God of this world, and this world is our extreme wilderness survival opportunity. Young men, men, boys, are you surviving well? You need to know the age in which you live. The tactics of our enemy that inhabits the wilderness are timeless, and they've never changed. They're unending. They don't take timeouts. This is the residence in which we live. This has been the wilderness in which we've been dropped. And we need to be aware. We need to be aware. This is the landscape. Well, in this landscape, what do we refuse? The refusal is very clear. Don't be conformed to the landscape. Don't be conformed to the dangerous things and the dark things around you. Any survivalist will enter a wilderness with a set of do's and don'ts in order to just stay alive. So where does Paul, our author of Romans, begin with his survivalist instruction? Do not be conformed. Well, the word conformed here is where literally we get our English word scheme or schematic. When you sit down to, to buy a house or when you sit down or to build a house, when you sit down to maybe build a machine, you've got a set of plans and you've got a schematic that's set before you. The contents of the inside are not discussed. You've just got a basic scheme for the project. This is the idea here. Don't be pressed into. Don't be schemed. Literally, don't be scammed by the world just by what you can see. Two wilderness survivals will again lay out a map and they'll show people a schematic of the area, of the dangers, and they'll cast their warnings and you're only gonna be told this one time. <laughs> follow close, words of exhortation and follow where I go and don't go where I don't go. It's interesting here, the language that's used. There's a particular author, author named Lang. He, he goes deep into the Greek language, and I won't, I won't go as deep as he did, but I'll kind of summarize what he said about the words conformed. He says here, don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. This is gonna be a reaffirmation we'll get to in just about a minute or two. But Lang in his language study points out that the root word for conformed and the preposition that makes it a compound word, both the compound preposition and the root form refer to that which is external, that which we can see, not that which we can't see. Don't be conformed to this age which has a God that seeks to devour you. This is a God that loves mere external forms. This is a God that does not want your internal spiritual person to be addressed or changed. He's got a way that he wants it done and he's gonna do everything he can to press you into that mold of what he wants done. But conversely, the word transformed here that we'll look at in just a little bit is also a compound word and both its root and preposition both speak to internal transformation. 
Don't be conformed externally, but internally be changed. And we'll discuss that in just a moment. One author said this, the antithesis or the opposite nature of both verbs is comprised only in the prepositions. These indeed increase it. The one preposition denotes the torpidity of the external form of the church by uniformity with the world or worldliness. The preposition of the second verb, transform, denotes the organic change and the transformation of the organic shape according to the new inward form that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul's writings teach us to explain to one another. They explained us to explain to one another the world's danger spots so that we aren't conformed to those danger spots. Where are these danger spots highlighted in the New Testament? Well, Paul writes for us Romans, and he writes for us other parts of the New Testament, and the danger zones really in this wilderness are primarily defined in his sin lists. Go into Paul's sin list, whether it be Colossians 3, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. Go to Paul's sin list and and, and list out for yourself all the works of the flesh, all of the danger zones in this wilderness. And then realize in every place the God of this world rules, Satan himself with the fallen angels, they seek to parade these vices that you'll find in Paul's sin list that he warns us about to parade them in front of you and around you and ultimately through you so that you'll conform to his landscape. You'll conform to his scheme of things, his outward way of living. One author said this, artistically and subtly Satan weaves these dark vices mentioned in Paul's sinless into the fabric of our existence in the world. Our music, our movies, social media platforms, activities inside of work at times and outside of work for sure. The same with our educational environments too. You find Paul's sin lists and these vices supported by Satan himself penetrating multiple areas and multiple forms of our lives. And Paul says here, grace will not be conformed to this age and those sin lists in those various areas of life where we're made familiar with what sin is. And men, God's asked us to be discerners. Stop being conformed to this world and the God of this world and his schemes. Be careful. Men, you should be the leaders in your homes in relationship to what you listen to and what you watch so that your wives and your children can follow your example. And I want you to think about what you listen to and what you watch and where you go and what you support. Only after you go through Paul's sin lists And you understand what those sins are, and I think you would be amazed 
where those sins are represented and woven into the fabric of our daily culture, in our music, and in our movies, our television watching, even what we wear, or should I say what we won't wear. Think about it. Just take the sinless. I don't even have to get specific. I could. I was on social media recently and I was shocked. There was an elder of a particular church that I know well was at a particular concert and he took a selfie with his daughter at that concert, right? And it was a concert of an artist with nothing but just filth in the content of the song. And my heart just grieved. Who in the world would want their adolescent daughter to become familiar with the sound and the content of the song Whiskey Lullaby? All because the artist might have a song or two that they kind of really like. Why in the world would you want your kid exposed to someone who gets so drunk that they shoot their brains out? The devil weaves his vices into the fabric of our daily living so subtly, so creatively, so attractively, and we go through unwittingly, not thinking about what we listen to, what we watch, where we go, what we do. And Paul says here, the grace of God that saves you is the grace of God that transforms you. And he says, don't be conformed to the scheme. This is the wilderness. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. You go there, you're dead. You eat that, you're dead. You go there, you're dead. Don't do it. Don't do it. Amen. All right? I find it so amazing that we would be willing to jump into a, the middle of a desert in Africa, right, with a bunch of ferocious beasts and commit our lives to following a survival guy, right? And yet we'll look at Scripture and we'll look at it and we'll go, I can survive this wilderness without instruction. I'll be good. No, you won't. No, you won't. Men, be men. Lead. Know the word. Do what you got to do. Why? Because grace makes you capable. The grace of God makes you capable. If you know the Son of God. So that's the negative. Don't be conformed. But what do we get to do as well? Be transformed. Right here in the margin of your Bible, if you will, but be transfigured. For some of you that have known the Bible for a long time, you know where I'm going with this. It's the same word used in the transfiguration that we find in Matthew's gospel in the 17th chapter. Right. Did you know that nothing in the New Testament talks about the or prophesies of the, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. You would think that glorious event would have been mentioned by somebody, but it wasn't. But if you understand the context of what's going on in chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the book of Matthew, there was something that even Jesus' disciples were struggling with. They were struggling with who he really was. He's Messiah. Well, he's come to set up a kingdom. They didn't necessarily easily recollect Isaiah 53, which described them as a coming lamb to be slaughtered for the sin of mankind. 
They wanted a king before a cross or a king instead of a cross. And no matter how many times the Lord Jesus Christ is attempted to describe who he was, it was tough for them to get it. Even in Matthew 16, uh, Peter finally got it, where, where Peter uh, says to the Lord, you are, <laughs> you are God, right? Essentially, in Matthew 16, the whole of them didn't get it. So to a select few, uh, he pulls them up to the Mount of Transfiguration and, and, and there the glory of who he is is shown. The glory of God is demonstrated through the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God-man, and alongside Him is Moses and Elijah, right? Those glorious, romantic, Old Testament figures that, that too understood the glory of the coming Messiah. And to the select few disciples that were there, they finally began to understand who Jesus Christ is and what he had done in them. Now take that forward to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. You be transfigured. What's Paul saying here? When you trusted Christ as your Savior, folks, you trusted really the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the express image of glory of God, and now he is in you. And what's Paul saying here? Part of living a transformed life is just allowing the glory of Christ who is in you to be displayed through you. And remember, it's not an external thing, it's an internal transformation. And it's not something that's just done one at one point. That's verse one. This is something that we are to discern our way through every single day. Be transformed. This is a reaffirmation. The Lord Jesus Christ gloriously changed you. Now allow him to gloriously keep changing you. emphasize this enough, but dads, don't ever forget, your kids will remember how Jesus changed you or how he didn't, and they'll replicate the way you live. The God of this world loves death. Satan loves death. He doesn't care how long death takes as long as it has its way. Right. But by God's grace, we've been transformed from death to life. And the way we live every day and every facet of our living ought to be compelled by the grace of God to continually understand transformational living the glory of God in Jesus Christ working in us and then out from us. Our children have to see that. They have to see that. They have to see a miracle of God not only having saved you, but the same miracle of God's grace changing you unto Christ's likeness more and more every day. I fear that our children are more inundated and saturated with the information of the world than they are the information of God. 
I think our culture is kind of showing that, but I'm not preaching to our culture today. I'm preaching to you fellas. Your children need to see the Spirit of God transforming you through the Word of God, being governed by the Spirit of God, the point where they see you acting, not just reacting all the time, acting, governed by the Spirit of God, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, self-control, power over your passions by the grace of God. They need to see that. A transformed man is a real man. You are not a real man. If you can drink, if you can party, have multiple immoral partners, you're not a real man. You're being conformed in the, the world's mold. But God's grace, be transformed. Be governed by someone else with the help of the Word of God. This is a reaffirmation. I think it's really interesting. According to the text, my friends, the real legalist in the world is Satan. <laughs> Not Judaism or mere religiosity. The world wants you to conform to the externals. Right? God wants you to be changed through Jesus Christ to the inside out. Right? Well, renewal. As we rapidly head to our conclusion. Renewal. Well, survivalists, continuing along the lines of this illustration, will have the most clever ways to purify or find good drinking water, start a new fire for warmth, and maintain emotional health during any wilderness wandering, wandering struggle. Paul offers us our only source of survival and refreshment in this world as God's men and his people. It says here, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed How? by the renewing of your mind. One godly man said, when we change the way we think, we change the way we live. This is also a survivalist mandate. Control your thinking. When we get hungry and dehydrated, our thought processes can be altered. We can actually begin to think and to see things that aren't really there, even because of a lack of proper nutrition. And these things can be fatal in a wilderness wandering. So Paul teaches us here how to feed our hearts and minds so that we can think and see clearly. We must understand this about the renewal process, that it is a process, number one. It does not automatically happen to us when we trust Christ. It requires personal discipline. And the grammar here tells us this. We need to be continually developing renewing habits. I think for the men in the auditorium, there are, there are a myriad of ways that we can cleverly discuss how we can weave the content of God's word into our daily living. With all of the electronic devices we have, with all the ways we have to communicate with one another, let alone verbally discuss face-to-face, -face, there are a myriad of ways where we can saturate our lives with the content of Scripture. And we should be. Wouldn't it be wonderful, men, if you started the word saturation in your life uh, every morning by yourself, 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could communicate that word to your family during the course of the day, through media, and so that when you actually see your family at the end of the day, you can actually discuss the content of what you read in the morning. And wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could talk about the content of Scripture with our wives and our families as easily as we could talk about where we're going to go get ice cream tonight on Father's Day? Wouldn't it be wonderful just to talk about spiritual things as easily as we can? The Browns, the Indians, the Cavaliers, work, daily things. Spiritual renewal, it's a process, but it takes discipline. But God's grace underpins that discipline. And it certainly is an internal as opposed to an external process. It's much more effective at changing the way people live. Remember, what we think about will determine how we live. The less we know Scripture, the less we'll think about Scripture. And the less we think about Scripture, the less we'll live Scripture. And so really, when we're being conformed to the world, all we're doing is raising our hand and saying, I really don't know the Bible very well. That's all you're saying. But let's be men of the word so that we can live holy lifestyles. As we remember how verse one finished. This is, this is renewal. Why in the world in a wilderness would we not want to find fresh water to survive? So why in the world in this spiritual wilderness would we not want the same? All kinds of water and word analogies in scripture. The Word of God is our refreshing agent that we cannot live without. Brown says this, not by a mere outward disconformity to, ungodly, to the ungodly world, many of whose distractions in themselves may be virtuous and praiseworthy, but by such an inward spiritual transformation as makes the whole life new, new in its motives and ends. Even where the actions differ in nothing from those of the world, new considered as a whole, and in such a sense as to be wholly unattainable, save through the constraining power and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's the result? So that you may prove, this is discern, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and Perfect. You know, the best part of the conclusion of a survivalist journey or the end of an episode of a survivalist story on television is when they come to the end and there's food waiting, there's clothing waiting, there's water waiting in super abundance. And there's, there's great relief. I've been found or the... Uh, excursion I've willed myself through has come to an end and, and now we get to be cared for uh, and back to what we're used to. And, and God does desire for us to know the relief of what the word of God can bring to our lives. So in this world, we're not always as Christians just walking around like we're in this survival mode. We can be more than just survivors. We can thrive with joyful dispositions, relieved hearts. Sin is hardship, 
Grace is relief. And so what does he do? He says, you do all this. Enjoy this internal, continual, inward transformation so that you can discern or prove that which is good, that which is acceptable. To who? To God. That which is perfect. That which is all-sided. That which is logically rational according to God's word. So that you might know what God's will is. And his will is perfect because he knows the beginning from the end. Renewal is internal. It's not external. You know what, folks? In a survivalist environment, you need somebody else to help you through it. Someone else who's wiser than you. Maybe with some survival skills. And if you don't have someone with survival skills, and we've read these stories of folks even getting lost in the deserts of Arizona, right? And Nevada. If you're by yourself, or you're with another person without someone that knows survival skills, at least you're with somebody else. It's absolutely horrific to go through those things alone. God in His grace has given us an indwelling Savior a governing spirit. He's given us people in our midst that are much smarter and wiser and mature than we are to follow. And he's given us the scripture. All for consistent renewal so that we might know the refreshing result of what it means to know and to do the will of God in our lives. So men, understand your residence. You're in this world. Understand what you're to refuse. Schemes. Understand what you're to reaffirm. You have been transfigured. The glory of God in Jesus Christ is in you. Now go through the process of renewal according to the Word of God, and enjoy, really, it's not a result, it's a reward, isn't it? To know and to do the will of God. You know what a great honor it is to stand up here? You say, that pops parade's just kind of silly on Father's Day. It's a great honor for me to stand up here as pastor and just sit, shake a couple hundred hands. And as you guys are walking by me, I'm thinking about who you are, the lives you lead, the families you lead, and I'm thinking, Wow, what a great opportunity. What a great opportunity you have as leaders to live discerning lifestyles. And I'll tell you what, I was, I was generally really thankful that we've got the men in our church that we do. Because predominantly, I think the majority of you are doing a great job, but I'd be a little less than honest if I told you when I shook some of your hands, I was also praying. God, let them see this this morning in verse 2. Lord, let them get this. I pray that they get this, Lord. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for the simplicity of this text. And I pray, Lord, for all of us, not just the men in our ministry, 
the women and the children, every saint here, that we would understand that the grace that saved us is the grace that is powerful to sustain us and transform us and renew us. So that we all might know the reward of knowing and doing God's will on this earth. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And thank you, Lord, for the company of these sweet people. Lord, we have been saturated with much help from heaven. And I pray that we would take full advantage of it in this whole wilderness. In Jesus' name, amen.